This morning we are going to resume looking at the life of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. And so I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 21. Uh, If, uh, I mean, we took a few weeks off for for Christmas. If you uh, are new here to the church or if it's been a while, uh, I just want to orient you to where we are in the life of Jesus. Because uh, t- it turns out that we're near the end of the life of Jesus. This is his, uh, really the final week of his life before he's crucified. And so we've uh, missed the first 33 years, but we're going to pick it up where the action really does become uh, more important. And so Jesus has just traveled through uh, Jerusalem, traveled into Jerusalem on a donkey to the shouts of Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna to the Son of David. He was acknowledged, anyway, by some as a king. That kind of disturbed the city. They were shaken, and everyone began wondering, who is this who's coming into the city? Once he got there, he, you might say, barged into the temple, overturned the tables of the money changers, and uh, essentially cleaned house. Later, he welcomed children and the sick and the disabled to the temple and healed them. He went out of town to the suburbs to sleep and came back in the next morning and on his way in, he cursed a fig tree and it shriveled immediately. And I don't know how you read that. Because you read those things, turning over the tables, cursing fig trees, healing people. Sort of like blah, blah, blah. That's what Jesus does. That's who Jesus is. He does that kind of a thing. And then, we end up here, we're going we're gonna to see that the, the religious leaders interrupt his teaching. And of course, that's what Jesus does too. He teaches. But before we read any farther, I, I want to warn you. Because sometimes you... You know, encounter an ancient book, like the Bible, and you assume that it only addresses old-time things. It doesn't really have any uh, bearing on uh, modern things. Well, this morning it does, maybe for better or for worse, but uh, this morning we're going to see the authority of Jesus questioned by the religious leaders. Now, authority is a fairly current issue, wouldn't you say? Yesterday was the third anniversary of the insurrection at the Capitol. At the heart of that was the question, who gets to decide who ultimately has authority? We'd love, I'd love, to forget the pandemic. And while we all had concerns about our health and all of us felt isolated in one way or another, the heart of my struggle, I will say, was authority. Who gets to tell me what to do and why? Who gives them authority to say, don't gather, wear masks, or whatever? 
We live in a world, don't we, where authority is an issue for us, and we're going to have to figure it out. And that's the question that the text picks up for us this morning. It's a beautiful and ancient text, but it's also modern and relevant, and we dare not dismiss it just because it's old. So let's pick up reading in Matthew chapter 21, verse 23. And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you authority? Jesus answered them, I I will also ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John. From where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, Hmm, we say from heaven, he'll say to us, then why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we're afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now, maybe at first blush, this encounter looks like it ends in a stalemate. They don't tell Jesus, he doesn't tell them. But I think there's a lot more going on here than a mere stalemate. It's really, um, they have to realize, you have to realize, that just because they claim ignorance, they're not really ignorant. Because even if they were, though, pleading ignorance to the authority of Jesus is no excuse. To say, say what you want about the authority of Jesus, he still has it. You can claim not to know, but that doesn't change anything. And so here they are struggling with the authority of Jesus. So I want to look at the text, and I'm going to ask three questions of the text this morning. The first one is this. What's the deal with authority? What is the issue with authority? Why do they make authority the question that they feel they need to get the answer to? First thing that you need to see in verse 23 is the place where this happens. Look what it says. It says, he entered the temple. He entered the temple. And what is significant about the temple? Could this just happen in the old place? I don't think it could. The temple is significant because it's the temple where that's the place where heaven meets earth. That's the place where God encounters man. And so we have here in the temple... In some respect, the answer to our question already, don't we? They're asking the question in a place that kind of answers the question for them, but we'll save that for later. We have a very big clue about the answer, whether it's the authorities from God or from people. 
But I want you to step back even further than just noticing where it happens and thinking about why would they ask about authority? Why did they ask about Jesus' authority? I think that you could probably change the question to be this. Who gave you the right to do this in our temple? The temple, after all, was the jurisdiction of the priests and the elders. It was their space. Jesus had just marched in and cleaned house. And now He was teaching in their territory. They want to know why. They want to know who gave him the right or the authority to do this. It was their job to protect their religion. It was their job to protect their teaching. It was their job to protect their morality. And so they put fences around all of it, and Jesus walked right through those and began to teach. He began to teach and heal and curse fig trees and all the things. Jesus was doing things that should not be done without proper authority. Now, I, I normally don't recommend that you read the Bible by trying to insert yourself into it. But if you do insert yourself into it, usually we all try and insert ourselves as the heroes. right? We're, we're the David, the bad guy's Goliath, and that's how we roll. And that, I don't recommend you ever do that, but I'm going to do it this morning. Because I get this. I can see why these religious leaders are calling Jesus out. If someone were, say, to come into our church and just begin to hold forth, I have to say it's highly likely I would go up and interrupt them and I would say, um, what are you doing here? Who gave you the authority to start teaching? I'm pretty sure I'd ask that. So that kind of puts me in the seat of the bad guys here, doesn't it? Now, I want a little credit. I want a little credit when I say that. Because, because they had seen Jesus in action. They had seen him heal people and te- heard him teach. And they'd seen all the things. They knew who he was. And they still asked. See, if somebody walked in here, I wouldn't know who they were, so that's how I soften it a little for myself. I, I say it that way, though, and I talk about it like that because I think there could be a good answer. This question they're asking could have a good answer. It might be, uh, the, the answer that might like help me would be somebody, I ask the question, what, what, by what authority are you doing these things? They said, well, Pastor Tim asked me to come and describe, you know, first century synagogues because that's what I did my doctoral work on. Okay, I I could conceive of some sort of answer like that and it would maybe put me in my place a little bit. Maybe I'd say, oh, doctoral work, eh? Okay. Pastor Tim says, okay. But the reality is, I don't think that they ask Jesus about his authority so that they could approve. They ask Jesus about his authority so they could trap him. 
really. We'll see that in a minute. But it's interesting that they ask about authority. Because I have a number of problems. And one of the chief among them is an authority problem. I have a bias against authority. I don't like people telling me what to do. And I think I can probably speak for most of us. That's, that's kind of how we are. Right? Our, we think, I think, I'll make better decisions for myself than someone else will make for me. Or, I'm, I'm biased against authority because I'm concerned that authority will be abused. And so I don't want to trust authority. And those of you who have raised toddlers recognize that you come out of the womb resisting authority. All I have to do is go, go back to the revolution. They call it a revolution because our country was born resisting authority. It, it's like bred into us. In our DNA. And so... This question of authority is one that is important for us to come to grips with. But what are we talking about when we're talking about authority? We probably need to attempt, anyway, to define authority. One of the characteristics of authority is that it always ultimately points beyond itself. And notice that's the way they ask the question Who gave you authority? It's not something that you seize or that you take. And if you do, that's a problem. That's a different problem than an authority problem. But really, authority is bestowed or it's given. And that's why they ask, who gave you the authority? Jesus was very clear about where his authority came from and who gave it to him. So he didn't tell them here in this text. He asked the question instead. But he tells us, and so in the, in the rest of the Scriptures, we know, don't we, that where Jesus' authority came from, even the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and 19, starts this way. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's fairly direct, isn't it? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. That's all there is. The, the authority, all of it, has been given to Jesus. He knows it's been given to Him. Authority comes because it's been bestowed. That's, that's what it says in Romans 13 when the Apostle Paul writes to say, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. In other words, God is the ultimate source of authority and any legitimate authority is delegated by God. I told you we're in the last week of the life of Jesus. At the very, very end, of course, He's on trial before Pilate. And when He talks to Pilate, Pilate, He doesn't say anything. And Pilate says, what? You will not speak to Me? 
do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Again, Jesus is very clear that authority, even Pilate's authority, is delegated by God. Now just just for a moment, I want you to realize, this is the worst possible exercise of authority. To condemn an innocent man without cause. And yet, Jesus submitted to that authority because it was delegated by God. But that's a different sermon. One more place, Jesus is very clear. In John 17, again, he's praying for, it's probably a couple days after this encounter we're looking at today. He's praying for his disciples. He lifts up his eyes to heaven and says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh. Notice the scope, again, of the authority given to Jesus. Authority is derived by God, and the authority given to Jesus is um, universal. It's complete. To have have authority, then, as far as the definition goes, is to have power, ability, and responsibility to do something. To have power, ability, and responsibility to do something. Every human being has some level of authority by virtue of being a human being, made in God's image. In the very beginning, God did, after all, delegate authority to human beings as those who bear His image so that they would have dominion over the earth to subdue it and rule over it. They were acting in His stead with authority. So every human being has some level of it. Some have maybe more than others, or they have it by virtue of their office. This is easy. Hopefully none of you experienced it this morning on your way to church. But a police officer has a certain level of authority, don't they? A judge has authority. A a school principal has authority. They have authority by virtue of their office. And they have various jurisdictions to which that authority applies. Well, Some of you know that... um, I host a a podcast, and a couple weeks ago, we had the privilege of interviewing a scholar who literally, literally wrote the book on authority. That's why we interviewed him. The the title of the book was, We Answer to Another. And we talked to him about authority, of course, and we asked him, how do you define authority? And he gave us partial answers, a series of partial answers, and we asked a little more and a little more, and finally he just said, this is the guy who wrote the book on authorities, so you know. He said, well, you know it when you see it. You can theorize about authority all you want, can't you? But you know it when you see it. 
You know it when you see it and someone's in uniform. You know it when you see it when somebody is actually doing something that requires authority and it's happening. And some may say, medical personnel arrives on the scene of an accident. You know. They have authority in that situation, don't they? You know it when you see it. You don't need them to like have their you know, graduation certificate and show it to you and say, you know, I've done all the things. No, you just, they have it and you know it. And I'll tell you what, that's what's happened here, isn't it? They observe Jesus. They see His authority over sickness and disease, over creation, over empty and meaningless religion, and they know it when they see it. Jesus has it, and they can't figure out where it came from. They heard it in His teaching, they experienced it in His healing, and now they're asking Him about it. They knew that Jesus didn't have the answer that would have satisfied them. They thought, this is the thing we've got him on. He didn't go to a rabbinical school. He doesn't have an ordination paper. He, does, he hasn't graduated from a school. We've got him. So they ask him about authority. He walked in or rode into the capital there as a king, exercising kingly authority. And this was the clash of the authorities of the kingdoms of heaven and the kingdoms of earth. Well, time to get back to the encounter here. They, this authority is the, the ability and the power and the responsibility to do something. You know it when you see it. And they saw it in Jesus and they had to ask Him about it. So that's the deal with the authority. What's the deal? What's the deal with John? That's my second question. What's the deal with John? Why bring John into it? John is actually long dead. John had been already beheaded by the time this comes around. So when Jesus says, I'm going to ask you one question, the baptism of John from where did it come, from heaven or from man, is a question, first of all, I wouldn't have expected because John wasn't around. But Jesus knew enough of the way that people had interacted with John. He knew his relationship with John so that this was really a good question that gave them one or two choices. Either it's from heaven, John's baptism is from heaven, or it's from man. Those are your choices. Well, a few weeks ago during Advent, we talked about uh, several things about the birth of Jesus, one of which was the, the birth of John the Baptist, because the birth of John the Baptist really set out for us the mission that John was on. He was the witness to Jesus. He was the one who prophesied, the, the, really the last one, who talked about Jesus coming. In fact, the Scripture uh, quoted Isaiah chapter 40 from the Old Testament to tell us what John was doing and how he was doing it. It said, He is the one who makes straight the path of the Lord. He is the one who is going to begin to brush out the, the obstacles in the way of the Messiah. And so as uh, the Gospel writers quoted 
Isaiah chapter 40, what they were doing is they were pulling in everything there is about Isaiah 40 to say, this is the one. Well, Isaiah 40 is really one of the best chapters in all the Bible. If you haven't uh, looked at it, I would encourage you to do that. But one of the things it says, this, this is just a sampling, right, of Isaiah 40 to give you uh, some focus on the authority that is resident there. It just says, all the nations are as nothing before God. They are accounted to Him as less than nothing and emptiness. It says in that chapter, they are a drop in the bucket. And when Jesus summons John the Baptist in His baptism, He is essentially bringing that whole... Um, boatload of authority from the Old Testament to say the authority of Yahweh, the God of Israel, is uh, following John as he makes his way straight, and it's, uh, all that authority is resident in me. Okay, he didn't say all of that, but that was his implication in bringing John into it, because John broke with the establishment. John called for a radical repentance of sin. He asks the people to be baptized and to identify anew with their God who was about to set them free. And now Jesus says, what was the source of John's baptism and his message? And of course, you can just see the huddle, can't you? They all huddle up like they're in a football game and they talk about this and they say, well, if it's if it's from God, then the first question he's going to say is, why didn't you believe it? Oh, we can't answer that. Well, if we say it's from man, everyone else thinks it's from God, and so they'll think we're stupid, so we can't answer that. Hmm. They either have a spiritual problem or they have a political problem. They don't want any problems. Jesus already given them enough of a problem. He's just been recognized as king. He's just straightened out what was crooked in their religion. And he asks him, where do you think the baptism of John comes from? So what do they do? That's the third question. What's the, what's the deal with their answer? What's the deal with the way that they answer Jesus? It just, I think it's hilarious, actually. I, I, wouldn't you love to be the spokesperson? Um, we don't know. Really? See, that's the thing. Jesus knew they did know. Jesus answered them in the temple. But the answer's like written all over. Jesus knew they knew. By, by putting the question back on them, he was telling them, you already know the answer. And so what do they do? They lie. And their answer is neither helpful nor truthful. And they say they don't know even though they do. Think about that. They rejected Jesus 
because they had made a decision beforehand to reject, to, to reject Jesus. Not They did not reject Jesus because they weighed the evidence about His authority and came to some objective decision say, oh, yeah, it didn't come from heaven. We can't buy that. They knew it came from heaven. And they'd already decided they were going uh, to not play along. Jesus had challenged them and they declined the challenge. It wasn't a stalemate like I mentioned earlier. It's more of a forfeit. They, they come to game time and they decide, we can't play. We're out. And they forfeited. They gave up any authority they may have had as religious leaders. I mean, think about it. Where does, it, where does it, religious leaders' authority come from? From their ability to understand spiritual things. From their experience in the Scriptures to know what God says and what God doesn't say. And here they just say, well, we don't know. And they forfeit. They forfeit the, the answer. They forfeit their authority. And they're unable from then forward to challenge Jesus any longer. And I just have to say that their answer, if their answer had been different, it wouldn't have been as embarrassing for them. They had have said, we think it's from heaven. We acknowledge that we didn't respond to it like we should have. And if they had repented, it had been fine. But they just said, we're doubling down. We don't know. And I don't know if you've ever been like stuck there. You get the wrong, you say the wrong thing. You do the wrong thing. You're stuck. You get called on it. And what do you do? Well, you can acknowledge it there or you can double down on it, right? And you double down on that and you like, ah, you know, and you say it again and you insist on it. And before you know it, you're trapped. Exactly what happened to them. I just want to say that it's right here that we encounter, I think, the chief challenge for us in this text. Because the same problems plague us, it plagued them. Namely, that um, we disguise our desire to disbelieve with a lack of understanding. I don't know replaces I don't want to. Because if you think about it, most of our struggles with God are I don't want to. They're not I don't know. Like I said in the beginning, pleading ignorance doesn't really solve the problem. We're unwilling to admit what we're unwilling to submit to. And so, just like the religious leaders, we want to say we don't know when in fact we simply will not. We invent ways to avoid the authority of Jesus. Disbelief is seldom out of ignorance. It's almost always willful. I suppose in a group like this, there, there may be some of you who are here for some reason this morning, completely unwilling 
to submit to the authority of Jesus. Just hard-hearted as you can be. And you're going to say, I don't know. Well, you know what? Jesus will let you walk away just like he did these religious leaders. But there are others of you, probably more of you, who are willing to submit to the authority of Jesus, but only partially. To only go part of the way home. Because it ultimately ends up being willful again, doesn't it? We want to suggest to the Lord, see the, us suggesting to Him at the beginning, that you can have authority over my Sundays. I'm not much of a football fan anyway. You can have authorities over my Sundays. I'll give you my, I'll even give you my money, part of my money. I have authority over my money. Not over my sex life. Or you might say, I'll submit to your authority over my family, but not over what I post on social media because I want everyone, I want to curate my life on Instagram so everyone thinks of me a certain way. You can have authority over my work or my job as long as I don't lose it. But then again, don't make me serve my neighbors. Don't make me cross the street. See, we always like negotiate, don't we? See, that's how you know it's willful. When you start this negotiation with the Lord. That's how it's not ignorant. It's not ignorant because you're negotiating. You already, you already have a position and so does he. His happens to be full of all authority and you're trying to figure it out. And so rather than avoid the authority of Jesus, may God give us grace to submit to it. Because seldom are we ignorant, more often are we willful. And my question is then for you, in what area of your life are you not soft to the Lord? Are you not submissive to His leadership? We've talked about being gun-shy about authority. Worried that somebody's going to misuse it. Worried that someone's going to make a decision for us that we don't want them to make. Certain that we know better than the person in authority how our life ought to go. Well, that may be the case with the government, may be the case with uh, your employer, may be the case, lots of situations. And it's also the case with Jesus. Because also, we end up coming into conflict with the authority of Jesus, and we've got to decide what are we going to do about that. And see, what happens is, and what I just did there, if you didn't notice it, is I just equated the authority of Jesus with all the other authority encounters you have in your life. And sort of made it okay for you to view their authority in the same way you view Jesus' authority. But there's something radically different about the authority of Jesus than the authority that you and I are used to. And you need to be, if you're clear about anything this morning, you need to be clear about this. You need to be clear about how Jesus uses 
his authority because ultimately it's the use of authority that makes us nervous. It's the use of authority that is the, the very thing we're going to have to submit to. So let me show you in a few places in Scripture how Jesus uses his authority. In John chapter 10, verse 18. He's talking about being a good shepherd and he says, talking about his life, no one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to take it up again. This is a charge I have received from my Father. What does Jesus do with His authority? He uses it to lay His life down for you. You are not used to that kind of authority. Or John chapter 1, verse 12. says, But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right. Now the word right is exactly the same word in uh, the original language as authority. He gave the authority to become children of God. What does Jesus do with His authority? He gives it to you and invites you into the family. That's what He does with His authority. He uses it to include you. How do, how, does, how do you get included? Because He lays His life down for you. So that the very thing that would destroy you is now taken care of. I already pointed out John chapter 17. But let me pick it up in verse 2. Um, talking about God the Father. Since you have given Him, the Son, authority over all flesh. So Jesus has all authority as delegated by God. Since you've given him all authority over all flesh, what for? How does he use it? To give eternal life to all whom you have given to him. This is eternal life that they may know the one true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. How does Jesus use his authority? To grant eternal life. How does He use His authority? To to give to you the knowledge of God that will save you. I I just want you to stop for a moment and let that sink in. Because you're going to decide, am I going to submit to the authority of Jesus? And your first thought, probably, is like all the other authorities. I don't want him to ask me to do something I don't want to do. Well, guess what? It is the authority of Jesus that gave him the right to lay his life down that you might be reconciled to God. It is the authority of Jesus that invites you into a relationship with God the Father by which you are his child and deeply loved. Maybe you want to think again about submitting to that authority. That's pretty good. It's the authority of Jesus that enables him not only to offer eternal life, but to give it to all of those who have been given him by the Father. Unlike all the other authorities that you're worried about, his authority is good. It will always be good and it always invites you closer into a relationship with Him. 
Jesus exercises his authority by dying for you and dying in particular for the area of your life that you don't want to surrender to him. My hope and prayer, you'll submit to his authority this morning. What just so happens this morning is uh, Communion Sunday where we uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And we do that to remember that Jesus laid his life down for us, that he exercised his authority on our behalf, that we might, in fact, be included in his family. We celebrate communion once a month so that we have at least some routine built into our lives to say, looking back, Jesus has done this for me. It's also a routine that reminds us to look forward so that the little wafer and the juice isn't much and it isn't much on purpose so that it reminds us that one day there will be much. It's just like all the other things in life, isn't it? All the, the beauty you see in a sunset is only there to remind you there's going to be a more glorious sunset one day. All of the, all of the beautiful music you hear is simply to point to a better day. This meal also points to that better day. Because Jesus has all authority. And he will see to it that you are included in that good day. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have submitted to his authority, then I want to invite you to just participate with us. And the way that'll look is during the next song, uh, I want to invite you to get out of your seat and come down the middle aisle. And there's a table here and a table here, and you can get the elements. There's two cups, by the way. You make sure you get both of them. Return to your seat, and we'll celebrate. Um, we'll participate together uh, after the song is over. And I just want to encourage you that you can trust Jesus. That his authority for you is exactly what you needed. Let me pray for us. Oh, Heavenly Father, we are humbled and think we know so much and think we have so many things together when in fact we really need Jesus We really needed him to lay his life down for our sins. We needed him to bring us into your family. So, Father, we just want to worship now as we uh, remember his death, his burial, and his resurrection. We don't want to assume that somehow we're fine without him, but rather this is our acknowledgement that, yes, we need him to care for us over and over again. So would you draw us closer to Jesus now, I pray in his name. Amen.